Hello and welcome to the Marvelous Women Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Henry Murray, and this is my other co-host. Matthew, I'm here. Hello. Our slogan is the home of positive fan culture. Um, yeah, brand new. Yeah, really welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so first off, I want to sort of um, advertise our Instagram page and our Twitter page. Um, so our Instagram at the moment, we're going through all the MCU Marvel movies and giving them like a a short review up top, then we've got like a more in-depth review down below in the description. Um, yeah, I think it's at, at, at Marvelous Cinema Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're doing pretty much the same thing over at Twitter um, as at Cinema Marvelous. Um, so yeah, give us a follow, like our post, give us a comment of what you think, anything like that. Um, yeah. Um, That's social media. We've got yeah. a <laughs> All over the place. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... Today we're doing um, a pod, a, a podcast. Yes, that's what we're doing. We're doing the episode on TV shows that we have watched and we're watching at the moment and what we like. Um, some of them might not or might not like. Um, but yeah, we're going to go through some TV shows because usually here we talk about movies a lot and franchises, and we don't have to get get to talk about um, TV shows that often, do we? Yeah, just something new, something um, because you know it's it's on the banners. It's stuff. It's stuff we're still very much involved with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So you know, it's you know, we've got to talk about it, but we've got we've got to we've got to sort of shout what we uh, what we like and yeah, how people can trust us. <laughs> yeah, so we want more content than you you would think so. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh yes. Do you want to get started then? Give an example. Uh, I can do. I can go first. Okay. I've sort of written some some categories down. Uh-huh. Um, do we want comedy, drama, limited series, uh, or sci-fi fantasy, or pulp, which I've sort of half-labelled. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it classes pulp, but you know, you like stuff, you turn the TV on, you flick through the channels, and you go, oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I think I know what you mean. The sort of, like, surprising, never heard of it sort of things. Hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, I, don't, I don't know where to start them. Start with sci-fi. Keep with, keep with the... Right. So, I've actually got a lot to talk about this one. It's the only sci-fi fantasy I've written down. Oh, okay. And it is Stranger Things. Ah, okay. Yes. <laughs> Very so good. Are you, have you seen Stranger Things? Yes, I've seen all of it. So you far. have? Yeah. That's good. <laughs> okay, that's good. So... I would describe my things towards it is I I really like the first series. Mm-hmm. I love the second series. Yeah, same here. The second one's really good. Third one, still mm-hmm. good, but it's not as good. Okay. <laughs> That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the third series? Um, I I think I agree with you. The second one season's my favourite. Um, I do... I do really enjoy the first season a lot. Um, and the third season I do enjoy as well. Um, the third season I had a few problems with where I thought the um, the sort of 80s references and the, the general tone of the show went a bit, not not all the time, but like sometimes it was got a bit too far. Um, I couldn't, I can't remember, because obviously with a TV show, like you're watching eight hours or something. So looking back at it, it's a bit hard, hard to remember why. But mm. I do remember being... Um, Maybe because I've just been watching, you know, three seasons of it, and it was, I did like a, 
I did like a build up of going from I did like rewatched it before watching the third one. So maybe it's like a bit overload for eighties nostalgia sort of neon going on. Um, yeah, I think so. I, I watched it before the third season and I felt the same. I felt that the first few episodes of the third series are really slow. Mm. Like it's not until yeah. there's the there's, I think the episodes are called the sauna test. Oh yeah, yeah. I that. It was was the only bad episode that made me think. Yeah, here we are. Yeah, Stranger Things. Yeah, because it just feels up until then, it just feels very dramery, mm. very was, very soap opera. Even there was, there was a lot of um, teen drama, wasn't there? I remember that there was a. Mm. I think I think there's even like a misunderstanding at one point between Eleven and the main character's name. I also get Finn Wolfhard isn't his name in real life. Mike. Yeah, no, but I remember them having a misunderstanding early on, and I think it lasts the entire season. Them not understanding each other, and I don't. I definitely didn't hate it. I think the actors, like from the first season going forward, always have great chemistry, and I always want to see more of them. But uh, I was, I did enjoy the majority of the first season. And it wasn't like a big, it wasn't like a big dip in quality. Also, it was like a very a solid third season. But it does make me think um, going forward: Do I want to see a fourth season, possibly, and the fifth one because? Not only does the first season, first season my, probably my least favourite, it's also um, has a really great ending um, that I would be happy with ending it there, honestly. Um, oh, the third season, sorry. Yeah, the third yeah. season. I'm happy with ending it there. Would you agree with that? I I would agree. I do have a, I do have a slight problem with the ending. Mm, okay. And, well, especially what we know now. Right. As well, what was, what was the thing that was revealed in the advert for season four? Mm, yeah. Um, spoilers. Uh, we haven't said it before, but spoilers because we are going to play talk about it. Yeah, a lot. And I would also like to say that for the third season of this, while I don't mm. think it's necessarily as good as the others, yeah, I do still think as a show it's better than a lot of stuff out there. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially would... in terms of like production costs and just the amount of you feel like you're watching a, a like I don't know how to say it, but like this is weird disconnect between movies and TV where you just you know TV's lesser than that. And I think in the last ten years or so it's been it's been sort of sifted where TV shows are this as as good as movies but have a lot more time on their hands to do whatever they want. Hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah. And I just also where there's like I love how the story's put together in it. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about that. I'll talk about that in a minute because I do have I do have quite a lot to say on this one. <laughs> but um, for the for the final the final moments, the ending for the third third season. Yeah. After I watched it, because it is it's the the letter that she reads is beautiful. Oh yeah. It's a really well written and well delivered monologue. Yeah. It's well well acted all around. Mm-hmm. But I do feel I felt afterwards that the whole season feels like they writ that or they wrote that first. <laughs> right. Everything else right. around it. I can see. Yeah, I can see what you mean. Definitely. Because that that's so perfectly crafted. Mm-hmm. And they, I feel, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with this because yeah. you know a lot of things get written where. Um, that someone comes up with an idea for a set piece or an action tension, and that tension doesn't necessarily come until later in the script, and they write the script around that. Yeah, but it, it does 
really feel like they had this big moment between mm. Hopper and Eleven with this script. With sorry, with the letter. Yeah. But there are certain things that contradict it in a way. Mm. That's what I can use to describe it because it's it is a powerful letter. Yeah. What I said in there is powerful. It's pure. Mm-hmm. But it only works if Hopper is dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it leaves too many. I mean, it, it would be fine if you had it where the audience it one hundred percent believes that he's dead. Yeah. Then bring him back later. However you would, but mm-hmm. leaving it sort of fifty fifty. Yeah. Sort of undermines it a bit for me. It feels more like a cliffhanger than a an ending sort of note. Yeah, because the, the way it was the way it was lined up, I was eighty percent sure that Hopper wasn't dead. Oh really? Okay. Aside aside from the, the prisoner thing mm-hmm. in, the, in the cell, because I I initially I thought that was going to be Doctor Brennan. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember him. <laughs> but aside from that, there were sort of several. Mi- Two main things. One thing I discovered later, but one of the main thing is nobody. <laughs> if there's nobody, didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> that applies for anything. Yeah, Film, any- TV, anything. If there's nobody, yeah, it doesn't happen. We didn't see the emperor's like dead corpse in episode six. He's back in nine. You know, it's- yeah. <laughs> if there's nobody, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, another thing I noticed. Was I thought it was awfully convenient that Eleven lost her powers. Yeah, she did. I because obviously if she had them, she would have checked for him. Yeah. So um, it like a, a, a sort of like a plot contrivance to make her, to sort of not fill that sort of void of like, oh yeah, she could just figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. And the thing, which I actually think is really rather clever. Okay, <laughs> and it's that after she reads the letter and over the ending, they play mm-hmm. heroes. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, is the exact same song they play when they pull Will's fake body out of the lake. Yeah, which is connected them to to a fake death. Yeah, yeah. Which I felt that that was really clever. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I do really like that. I didn't realize that until now. <laughs> um, <laughs> And while yeah, I, do, that... I do think it's a good ending, I think it's a good ending mm-hmm. for setting more up. Yeah. If you if yeah. told me that was it, that was the show's over, mm-hmm. I would feel a little disappointed. Really? Okay. Because I, yeah, I think I felt the opposite of it, because I just remember them, because they leave um, the town that they live in, don't they, at the end, mm. like they move out. And I feel like that was kind of a very good solid note to go out on. But and you, yeah, there was that um, cliffhanger of is he dead or has Eleven lost the powers? But I feel like if it if it was meant to be the ending, those wouldn't be there. And therefore, it would have been the ending. And I feel like them finally leaving this place of trauma in their lives is a yeah. I think it would have been it would have been great. And honestly, I've got no idea what season four or whatever is going to be like. It could be the best season yet, and I'm going to completely disagree with what I said today. But. Um, mm. It could be. I completely trusted that, like the Duffer Brothers. I think is the name called, um, and what they're doing with that show. I definitely trust them. Then um, what I do want to see more definitely at some point. Mm. And moving on to one of the things that I was going to say that I do really like about it mm-hmm. is that, and it's partly the reason why I think the start of season three feels a little bit off. 
Mm-hmm. Is that generally what 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 helps me be excited for season four is that they I feel like they have through the seasons a great progression in level of scale. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they have. <laughs> they're brilliant in building it up. Yeah, because. Season two just fits brilliantly on on the end of season one, mm-hmm. and that's where I feel like the start of season three, in some regards, it doesn't have that same level of mm. progression. Yeah. But and another one of the main thing I was going to say is, I love what they do with characters. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. I love how I they mean... they they spend a lot of time in the first season. Yeah, creating their sort of core characters, mm-hmm. and they they don't go overload in the later seasons, adding new characters in. Yeah, they do. They do obviously add new ones in, mm-hmm. but I feel like they just what they what they do with the core things, core characters, and to keep them moving, I just think it's brilliant. Oh yeah, um, I think the biggest example that everyone points to was um, Steve Harrington. I think his name is yeah. The... The, he's sort of like a, like a pseudo bully at the beginning of season one, and you kind of he's charming, but you don't really like him. He's sort of an idiot who's not really involved in the plot of the of the TV show. He's more of a he's sort of, he sort of holds everyone back by being sort of like that generic bully. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of that season, he's he's much more of an understanding, caring human being that you kind of respect. And then in season two, they go completely just out the window with um, the bully aspect of the character and just go into him as being. The most likable guy ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I like, would argue he's the most likable character. characters on the show. Oh yeah, definitely. And he just becomes like a, a kind of a parent for like the kids at the end of season two, and then season three, they go even further with it, where he's 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 working at the mall, the dead end job, and he's trying to he likes likes this girl at the store, but uh, I think it's like a reveal at the end that he's like a lesbian, therefore he can't really do anything there, but he respects her as a friend enough to be still be a friend. Mm. Um, and of course, he's still friends with all the kids, and yeah, it's it's a really like lovely character arc that we sort like we see kind of slowly happen over time. Mm. Yeah, and I think what helps that is what they do with other characters as well is that they mm. often put characters with characters you wouldn't think. Yeah, they put them with. Yeah, definitely. Uh, perhaps the best example would be putting Eleven with Hopper. Yeah, I mean that's just a great like relationship of him him losing her, his um, daughter. In his life, and then earn, like sort of getting a new one with eleven, and get to like rewrite his rewrite his mistakes and like do it over in a sense. Mm. And mm. I, I, I feel like I've criticised the third season a lot, mm-hmm. which and I, I don't want people to think I don't like it because I do. There are yeah. parts of the third season that I do really love, mm-hmm. but the, the whole the whole group with Steve and Robin in the Russian facility. Yeah, oh, I God. think that's brilliant. That's so good. Yeah, it's just amazing the way that the comedy works perfectly, mm-hmm. and the way they introduce Lucas's little sister. Yeah, it's I mean, the way those characters just like grow over that show, um, I think it's so great because I think they plug in these eighty stereotypes, and they they make them modern. I don't mean modern in the sense that they also don't understand mobile phones. I mean like <laughs> like more developed characters and. Because usually in 80s movies and stuff like that, in high school movies, they don't, these characters don't get that often time to be more than just the archetype for the main character to get over. Um, so I think like having a TV show that's three seasons long, still going, where you have all these basic ar- archetypes to begin with, 
these kids that play Dun- Dungeons and Dragons, these this special like um, um, superhero child and this teenage bully and all these sort of things, and you bring them to a free season long story where you have hours and hours to delve into them. You just like it's something very special to have, really. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's where its heart lies. You know, it's its greatest strength. Yeah, is in the way that they change what you think about the character as well. It, as I said, with scale before, mm-hmm. the character's development has scale. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and we talked about it in the sequel episode. Mm-hmm. But everything after sort of builds up. It changes what they know. It changes. Yeah, it puts them out of their comfort zone again and again. Yeah. And that's why it feels like there's such a great level of progression throughout yeah. three seasons. And the status quo is constantly like shifting and changing. I mean, people like fall in love and fall out of love, and people become the villain. Also, in the next season, they slowly become the hero in a lot of sense. And um, yeah, it's it's a it's a lovely little show, honestly. <laughs> um, it is. It's great. Yeah. And I feel like as well, the camera work in that show is like brilliant. Just like it's kind of like has that JJ Abrams sort of fast-moving kinetic action even though it's mm. more for the most part people in a in a room like figuring out what the monster's doing <laughs> um, oh yeah it, it, it does it definitely does yeah and yeah i'm gonna say my my favorite part is the end of season two those the fast last two episodes mm, season yeah. two are brilliant i mean yeah it's a brilliant show in all like aspects of candy <laughs> um yeah i i do want to see more definitely but i wouldn't yeah like i said before i wouldn't be hurt if it ended as it did in season three, but yeah, it's a great show. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Do you have one to bring to the party? Uh, yes. Um, okay. Um, so I guess I want to talk a little bit about, I think we'll start up talk about some popular shows that everyone's kind of watched recently. Mm. Um, I think I want to go for the Mandalorian. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause I just, yesterday I did watch them when they came out, but, Yesterday, I rewatched the um, behind the scenes of it. That, that sort of um, the, every episode like a different title, like practical effect, effects and CGI and the legacy, and it goes through all these aspects that made that show. Um, mm. what I started watching that, but I sort of fell behind on it. It's it's honestly you should really like catch up on it because it's so great, especially the episode on the the new technology they've got, the the volume I think they call it. Um, was it that? You're in like a you're in like a massive studio room, and each wall has a LED TV sort of thing on it. Yeah, projects uh, an environment around you which has realistic lighting effects and realistic all these sort of amazing things that mean as an actor you're not looking at a green screen, you're there in the environment, and you would be surprised. You like it would almost surprise you to even know that was an LED screen there doing the mountain range, you know. Mm. Uh, and that's it was. It's honestly it's like a fascinating, fascinating watch to go through. And I think it made me respect um, what Star Wars does to um, film companies that usually just doesn't happen. Um, and I think it's odd because obviously it's a film franchise I love and um, the Marvel films, but I do think it's a good contrast between two franchises where I feel like because Star Wars has such a ground in the Lucas technology that he was building in those early movies, and then even more in the prequels and even more going forward, um, Star Wars has like a duty almost to... Um, carry on pushing technology forward in a way that I think most franchises like kind of like Marvel kind of don't often do I mean they do have they have amazing effects especially Finals is an amazing effect and but, oh yeah 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 um, 
and I feel like, but I feel like the most part when it comes to Marvel, they do a lot of stuff in post production, a lot of green screen, a lot of, a lot of not not shortcuts, but like more just easy, almost easier solutions than I think Star Wars goes for um, in recent movies. Um, them doing this, it's not like something that we have a cut then. And know what the results are going to be. They are risking the entire aesthetic of the show. Yeah, definitely. And definitely. without yeah. them pushing the boundaries, you know, because Lucasfilm have been at the forefront of digital and practical effects for decades now, yeah. and they're still since, doing it since the seventies. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, because before Lucas came around, ILM was more of a. They were a special effect company, but they weren't. I don't think they were doing much because I don't think movies would did, really need, needed them at that point. Um, but I think George Lucas obviously pushed them forward and made them their own company and eventually built Skywalker Skywalker Ranch and had like a think tank of people just making stories and making technology. And And I think Mandalorian is a great show because, yes, it has a, it has a great story and a great, uh, great through line going through it. Um, the Mandalorian himself becoming more of a human character the baby, baby Yoda, or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> um, so their relationship and Cara Dune and all these other characters and um, Carl Weathers' characters, I can't have a name of, but um, there are these great characters going through this very interesting show. But and I think what I love about it so much is the fact that each episode felt like it, its own director's um, interpretation of Star Wars. Um, so, I mean, a Deborah Chow episode was different from a Taika Waititi episode. It all felt mm-hmm. different. But not not entirely different because it was one show. It couldn't be that different. Um, but I just love them. Love watching that show and going through it, and especially just realizing because I watched that show before the behind the scenes thing was made, and I I had no clue that most of that show was a shot in a in a studio with an LED screen behind them. I had no idea, and I had no idea about how to find that. Ninety percent of the time, Baby Yoda is like a real puppet that's just moving and. There's no CGI touch-ups or anything like that, mm. uh, and I think it's a it's an incredible show that's um, accessible right now, and it's great to watch. And I feel like if if you're not interested in Star Wars, if you don't like the prequels, the original trilogy, or the new ones, or if you're not really a fan of it, I think if you watch The Mandalorian, it'll be your sort of endpoint to the franchise. I think it's very easy to watch. I think it's very straightforward. It's no, it has no real tie-ins anywhere. It's not really connected to the Skywalker um, family tree or anything like that. It's nothing, mm. got, nothing got nothing to do with that. It's more of its own show about a bounty hunter. It's of a Western. Um, it has a really cute character in it. That's very <laughs> famous right now. Um, so I feel like it's also a really good in point, but also a really great breeding ground for creators to be just having fun with Star Wars, in a sense. Um, yeah, which is something that... It's a bit of a freedom, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah. John Favreau even said that the aim of the show and many aspects was to get D-list characters that were in the background and make them actual characters in this TV show. Mm. So I think um, Empire Strikes Back has those little, I think they're called Ugnaughts. Um, yeah, um, um, Ugnaughts. Yeah. And in this one, Nick Nolte is playing Ugnaughts, who's the main character in the show. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's so many characters in that TV show that are you would recognise from Star Wars, but they're not they're not the forefront characters and they get to have the forefront in this T V show. The Mandalorian even the Mandalorian he's not they don't usually get to have a, a TV show where they're the main character, the main star, and this time we're getting the main character whose whole creed is we don't get to see his face, but mm. the directors and the writers are challenged by that and have to come up with a constantly come up with ideas of how to express a character's feeling towards something 
without ever seeing their eyes. Because, um, and that's incredibly hard. I mean, I'm one of the people that if I don't see your eyes as a, as a not even just watching TV, in, in real life, if I don't see your eyes, I probably won't recognize you. Like, if I'm if someone's wearing sunglasses, I don't recognize who that person is until they take it off. Um, so, like, I can't, it's literally a miracle how good that show is that I never see the main character's face. It's happened once. Um, and I, I still empathize with him a lot and love that show and want to watch more of him go forward. Um, yeah, really good show. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. Pushing the boundaries and it's something that's still going and that is very important to Star Wars as much as it is to TV as a wider thing. Yeah, definitely. It's also got, got 15 Emmy nominations. Has it? Oh. Yeah, which is quite a lot. For something yeah. It's got best drama series, I think. Wow, Jesus. Nominated for all those. <laughs> yeah. Which is rare for something like Star Wars and something this big budget yeah. to achieve. I think it's, it is oddly, because I don't think that, I mean, I think they both agree on this, that the sequel trilogy or the, the solo or the Rogue One, it never diminished Star Wars whatsoever. And I think it did um, rejuvenate it for a new audience and make it more fun and um, accessible to like the average audience that had no idea what Star Wars was really about. Um, mm. But I do think this is definitely a show where it's oddly revitalizing Star Wars without having to do any of the Star Wars things that we're used to. So <laughs> I think I think the old fans that are really big fans are getting satisfied from seeing the Mandalorian doing cool things on TV. <laughs> and the new fans are experiencing something that they didn't know existed in Star Wars, um, which was like a really like not a slow burning show, but like more of a methodical yes, some action and but mostly this character work um, in a in a Western setting uh, for the most part. Um, and I do think if you're not watching it, and you even if you are a Star Wars fan and you're not watching it, I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sure, episode eight or nine or whatever you did, whatever it was, ruined Star Wars. But like, what's this? I mean, if anything you're gonna like, it's probably this because um, it is like Star Wars at its coolest, but also. It hasn't lost its heart whatsoever. Um, yeah, it, it just keeps a weird blend of being back to its roots while also looking forward. Yeah. New stuff in there. Which is hard to do. I think we've seen so many franchises fail doing that so hard of keeping one foot in the past and one foot in the in the present and in the future. Um, but that show is, is doing it very well. And Dear mm-hmm. Filoni, who I'll be mentioning again later on, I think, um, is a, just a, I think he understands his characters in Star Wars very, very well. Um, and if anyone who doesn't know Star Wars, he was, David Nolan was a guy who did pretty much every Star Wars show, aside from one of them, um, Clone Wars and Rebels. And those are like highly regarded series that everyone loves. And it's, I mean, I mean that's an achievement in itself. That There's something later oh, in Star yeah. Wars that everyone loves. <laughs> so how, uh, like, um, the finale of one of them that's rated... Our last four episodes, or last three episodes, are all mm-hmm. 9.9 overall rating on IMDb. Yeah, that's incredible. Incredible, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think people um, recently, because that because that new season, um, realized how great he was. Because now they're including those last four episodes of that of the Clone Wars TV show as part of the the main Star Wars experience, where you would episode one, episode two, episode. You will watch episode one, episode two, then watch the four episodes of Clone Wars and then go into episode three because the tie-in so well. Mm. Um, I think that's an achievement in its own. And I think what John Favreau, Takawa Titi, Deborah Chow and all those creators are doing 
and Kenneth, um, Ka- Kathleen Kennedy was letting, letting him do this, um, which is incredible. I mean, having a TV show where so many, like, I hate saying this, like, phrase, but, like, I guess I kind of have to say it, but, like, auteur directors are, like, coming in and just mm. making an episode, like, one episode of a TV show. Um, and this, this is that that happened. And it, it's been interesting to see, and I can't wait for season two, mm. where they're, connect, they're going to slowly connect the universe together, I think. And I think there's plans for Ahsoka and Captain Rex coming into the fall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my, hopefully my that'll be good. <laughs> uh, mm. Yeah. I guess yeah, it's, it's brilliant having as, a, as like a team up, John Favreau and Dave Filoni, that combination of bringing them together. Mm-hmm. Have a more experienced or director, writer, producer. Yeah. With Dave Filoni, who as as he says in that documentary, is not particularly familiar with live action direction. Yeah, that's but he's sort of this Star Wars anger point in a way. Yeah, he's sort of like a, a George Lucas like protege, isn't he? In a, in a sense. Yeah, he is. He worked under Lucas for mm. well, basically for the entire time that Lucas and Lucas was there, really. Yeah, as in the entire time Filoni was there until Lucas sold it in twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's um, especially interesting watching him talk about Star Wars and I think everyone yes everyone loves Star Wars around that, around that table that they're talking around the directors and the writers and the special effects people they all love Star Wars but there's something about when Dave Filoni talks about Star Wars where you feel like you you feel like I don't know like he just he gets it more than anyone else on this planet does <laughs> maybe mm. he, George he, he, he has he has changed Phantom Menace and Qui-Gon Jim for me yeah, yeah. Because I... he, 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 he explains in, I won't spoil it in great detail, but he explains in that documentary how the Duel of the Fates battle changes the entire of the Star Wars canon. Mm-hmm. And for me, just listening to him, listening to him say that's like, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's not You're wrong. right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I still have problems with the prequels, and I, and I do get where he's coming from um, and in saying that, and I completely believe it's true. Um, and I think it's it's it was so lovely hearing that, and just because in my mind for like twenty years now or whatever, um, that lightsaber fight has always been the cooler one that has no meaning. And then watching him talk about, it, I was like, oh no, it's probably maybe not the most meaningful, but definitely meaningful um, in the in the saga. Um, and I think it's I think we need like that sort of anchor point for everyone, not just the audience, but like for the people that are working on it to hear from a guy that believes in all aspects episode one episode two episode five every everything is Star Wars to him mm-hmm. um so I do think people especially back in 2014 2015 where people uh, were very like ig- ignorant towards the prequels they didn't exist to anyone <laughs> um people sort of wrote them off as terrible and we shouldn't ever focus on them um which I feel was sort of a mistake I feel like it was good for episode seven but not going forward and I feel like him being there will help that still be there in a sense um yeah mm. yeah it is a gift isn't it it's a gift to star wars and a gift to film and tv he also wears a cowboy hat <laughs> yeah yes as well yeah. what's cooler than a cowboy hat and a space no. western nothing <laughs> okay you want to move on mm. okay can do there we go um i'm gonna do a drastically drastically different choice <laughs> okay to what is what is arguably 
one of my one of my favourite, if not my favourite, uh, sort of cop dramas. Mm. No, no, it's not even a cop drama, really. It's not even. It's a drama that the main character is a detective. Right. That's the best <laughs> I can describe it, and that is Luther. Oh, okay, right, yeah. I love Luther. I have seen season one, and that was it. Um, I fell off. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I think season, it picks up after season one. <laughs> okay. But a lot I, mean, of... I, I enjoyed it going from season one, but I, I just got lost in the real life, I guess, and forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I just think... What it does so well is you obviously, obviously have Idris Elba, which mm-hmm. is a massive tick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who's also said they want to do a film. Oh, okay. Fairly recently, I think. Um, but what what's fascinating about it is the way it, the way it addresses the villains, mm-hmm. the the criminals. Yeah. The who most of the time are deranged psychopaths <laughs> who have some sort of obsession with killing and it's all morbid yeah but the way it does it is that it it makes the crimes that are terrifying anyway mm-hmm. it just makes them even more terrifying but also making them in incredibly glamorous oh okay. you know what I mean? Like they're really glamorized and really stylized. Yeah. But when off often when you do that, it ends up taking away all the terror. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it makes it all look cool and yeah, and what have you. So Whereas with 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 the way it tackles it, it's glamorized and stylized while also making it ever so creepy. All right. Still creepy. Like I remember the the trailer for the latest season. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever saw it on TV. I don't think I did. It's uh, well, the 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 guy that they're tracking down is like um, it, it, the murderer they're tracking down has mm. lights in the in a hoodie. Okay, it's like he's wearing a mask and they're wearing a hoodie, and there okay. are LED lights in the lining of the hood. Right. And so basically, what it does is that it obscures uh, CCTV cameras. Right. Because yeah. they can't handle the bright light, so it blurs the face. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a an unique look mm-hmm. that you you already you already know that this isn't just some normal psychopath. Yeah. And anyway, the the trailer has him crawling down the floor of an empty uh, or nearly empty double decker bus. <laughs> and there's somebody there's somebody sat at the back yeah looking out the window or whatever and this person's crawling towards them on the floor of the bus oh god and it's not <laughs> well, it's pitch black night yeah and this this guy's wearing this clown type mask and the hood's up and the lights are on mm. and what also makes this bizarrely engaging is that in the trailer they have they play like a, like a, a synthesized rock cover of Toxic by Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> which, which is just oddly mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's probably, when I think of Luther, I think of that. Yeah. 
how it's just so beautifully shot. The cinematography is great, and I haven't yeah. even talked about Luther himself yet. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he's an absolute unit. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I feel like there's not much. If if you don't like that kind of cop detective mm-hmm. dealing with psychopath type drama, yeah, then it's probably not for you. Yeah, because what I enjoyed from it was how it was the maximum like hard-boiled detective story sort of thing, where Luther is sort of this character that is always like really depressed or <laughs> like a deep voice, like sick of his life, but also doing a case, and it was very much that hard-boiled detective thing. Mm. I, remember, I remember enjoying that. Yeah, it, it uh, to its uh, one of the one of the little the main, minor sort of detractors from it is that it does open with him standing on the edge of a building mm-hmm. with him being a detective as well that's one thing when we taught like, at a uni when we taught about opening scripts the one thing we're told to never do is open with somebody standing on the edge of a roof <laughs> right. but you know it's Luther it gets away with it yeah if you've got it yourself you can do it oh yeah he'll he'll get it he'll like work it out <laughs> yeah and that's that's it really. That's all I've got for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, would you say there's any sort of um, like lesser episodes or lesser seasons or anything like that? Um, there are some sort of around season two-ish. There are mm-hmm. some that don't necessarily don't stick out in my mind. Right. It's generally the later ones. Like there's one. Um. There are certain moments that stick out in your mind. Like there's one that happens in, um, sort of concludes in the back of a truck trailer, mm-hmm. where obviously I'm not going to reveal what happens, but it's just really, really tense, and you, you really gets a full gets across the almost suicidal tendencies of Luther, right? <laughs> and just yeah, yeah, and it it's just tension, complete tension, and not. Not really trusting anybody because obviously there are other detectives around him as well. Yeah, and you don't completely trust all the time. Mm-hmm. He goes through several sidekicks. <laughs> right, and in fact, that, that that has just reminded me that um, what happens to one of the sidekicks as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's in season three. I think mm-hmm. that's also brilliant. It's just so it's so abrupt. It was again. I'm not going to spoil anything. Yeah. But there's there's something that I think it's about halfway through. Yeah. Where um, it's the kind of thing where you watch a cop procedural or anything sort of cop drama based, where you're running after. An assailant or whatever, and yeah. it's, it's the exact kind of thing where you expect, oh, they're going to chase him, they're going to rugby tackle him to the ground and handcuff him. Yeah, and you sort of got that in the back of your mind, that expectation. Mm-hmm. But what happens isn't that. <laughs> it's so abrupt, and so it's literally like a gut punch, and it's just so brilliantly done the way it subverts that expectation, but it doesn't just do it for the sake of it. Like there's a, there's a narrative weight to it. Yeah. It means something because of what, what the general themes are throughout the mm-hmm. se- that season. 
I'm imagining something very morbid happening. <laughs> so, something very dark happening instead of something very good. I would expect uh, something less from you. <laughs> That's what I want in TV shows. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't think I'll get that watch at some point. Cause, um, yeah, I'd recommend it. Yeah. Because I watched season one and I enjoyed it. I want, I, did, I didn't want to see more of it. I just... Yeah, like I said before, I think it's like something happened. I don't know. I just got lost off some, somewhere. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll get that at some point. Um, do you want to move on? Yeah, can do. You got another one? Okay, so this one's... Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> this one's a guilty pleasure because um, it's not good at all. It's kind of terrible. Um, but I watched all four... Yeah, four... No, wait. Yeah, four seasons of it. It is our episodes. It has 23 episodes every season. It is terrible, and I love it. It is called Riverdale. Um, <laughs> have you heard the show? Have I heard of Riverdale? <laughs> have I heard of Riverdale? Yeah. I have heard of Riverdale. Um, okay, so, bit of context. I, with my friend, shout out to James Rodham and Matt Exagdan, um, I only watch this show with them two because we just take the we just yeah we we don't enjoy it but we definitely enjoy how bad it is. Um, um, so we started it. We started out by thinking we got to put some time in what we're going to watch. So we decided to jump ahead into season season two of Riverdale and just go forward from there and have nothing explained to us whatsoever and just kind of get it by ourselves. Um, what, what? So you would imagine that is upsettingly random. Yeah, <laughs> that's upsetting. And the thing is, I thought, oh, we'll watch like two episodes, maybe, and have fun with it, and then like leave it alone forever because it's probably going to be bad. And it, but it, the thing was that surprised me so much was that the fact that um, it's so it's so well like made in the sense that it's so well like lit and production cost is amazing for a TV show. It's best about te- teenagers in a little town. It's a very good-looking show, and it's a very. Um, it has a lot of. It has a lot of things that most TV shows that are really good don't have. Sometimes, which is a lot of, which is genuine, like depth in their in their visuals. Like it looks, it looks amazing for the most part. Um, however, it, it surprised me as well how it was so bad that it came around to being amazing. Um, <laughs> Because like I can't explain to you how every maybe like second episode at some point these characters that are like twenty five year old like they're like twenty eight year old um, men and women playing like sixteen year old people in high school and they they are four seasons in right now and they are getting older and they are still in high school um, <laughs> and the thing is they every every other episode have like some sort of weird weird dancing where the teenagers whether they're male or female are like weirdly like sexualized so like you're watching it you're like but these people are meant to be like 15 16 years old and like people are making this show and writing a show like easily like in their 30s at least um so it's odd on that level on how just weirdly like i said before well about visuals it's weirdly like glamorous and it's weirdly always a good looking show across the board so it's it has that weird element of like it's fun to like watch because it's not like hurtful to the eyes, but like at the same time it's so weird. And then at the same time, what they're doing is, <laughs> it's, I mean, okay, season one from what we rewatched because we went back 
around. We've watched season two, three, four, and then at the end, watch season one. Um, and then, <laughs> and then, it's okay. Season one starts out with a simple murder plot. It's a very much a mystery plot around who killed this one guy, and it's all going to be about this one murder case. And by the end of the season, we'll we'll figure it out. And that's what happens. That's all it is. And in season two, I mean, they introduce something called a witch king who has magical powers, who can kill anyone they want through magical means, and it's a cult that steals organs. Whoa, whoa, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah? Let me stop you there. <laughs> yeah. Was it just a normal high school drama? Oh yeah, it was more. Were, were there were there supernatural elements in the first series? None at all. None at all. <laughs> but where it's... where does this witch king come from? Just the woods, I guess. <laughs> How did um, pull that out their ass? They they just did. I mean, I mean, the fun joke that we always have with the show is that idea that. Is people in a in the writing room, and someone at some point got really high and drunk at the same time, and said, "How about we adapt art to comics, but make it dark and neon and drama?" And everyone, "Wow, what a great idea!" And then they made it, and then they realized they can't really do much with that for like that long. And then they went, "Okay, magic." <laughs> um, <laughs> and then there's a cult, like I said, and there's a there is there is organ stealing, there is. There's drama. There's t- uh, again. There's all this crazy murder, whatever magical shit. But at the same time, the, the show is still fundamentally about uh, the like like the like the relationship between Archie and Betty and Veronica and whoever and this and that. And every character goes through. Every character at some point goes through some sort of mind-altering, amazing trains. But the thing is, these changes mean nothing. So, like for instance. Betty is a character in the show. She starts out pretty normal. She's kind of like a goody two-shoes girl. But it turns out she's got an evil side. And her evil side has to wear a black wig. And she wears this black wig and becomes evil Betty. And she's, (laughs) she's like, abusive and, like, horrible and, like, almost murderous. And then then it's revealed in season three or four that she has, get ready for this, the murderer gene. Um, <laughs> what, what that means is because her father was at one point a bad guy in the show, it means that genetically, through DNA or whatever, she is by default a psychopath. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then it turns out, on top of this, this was this one character, by the way, so all of them go through some, something like this. And at one point, um, Betty's mom at the beginning is more like a She's a she's a journalist. She's a reporter. She's, she's not very nice. And then season two she becomes more nicer. And then in season three, it turns out the entire time, even though we firmly established that she's definitely a reporter and is definitely a not nice, somewhat sometimes nice person, um, they go, oh, this whole time she's been an FBI agent, and <laughs> the entire family is built to be in the FBI. And then so at some point, uh, like I said before about the there's a door, there's a organ stealing cult thing going on at some point yeah. um because they realized that they didn't end this arc in season two i think in season three they start the season with episode which i think is the best episode they've ever made which because it's so ridiculous um betty wears a, a beret and gets a gun and then 
Betty's mom also gets a gun and they go on a, a hunt for this this cult that they're going to kill. Um, and the leader of this cult they find on a rooftop. <laughs> and and okay, okay. So, <laughs> I, so, I think I might have seen a, a, a shot from this. Oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> so find him. Yes. <laughs> they find him. They find him, and there's a ro- there's a little mini rocket on the roof, and the guy is wearing an evil Knievel outfit, <laughs> and, and, he, and he says he, he's, his mission is to go to space and escape, <laughs> and and he almost gets away of this before he commits suicide for I don't think any reason. I think he just gets sick of the show, and um, yeah, so they end that plot that way. And in one 20 minute chunk of episode, they just end that entire thing with that ending. Um, so <laughs> season three or four, whatever it was, is on about something else now. It's on about, oh, shit, I forget what it is. I think, oh, yeah, I think Jughead, a character in the show played by Cole Sprouse, a very yeah. famous sort of actor, I guess, um, um, goes to uh, English um, prep school of like the elite English students are are great at writing books and to do all these amazing things. And of course, you know, he goes there for an episode and it's a bit weird, but it's slowly revealed that everyone there is in a cult again. <laughs> and oh, the cult no, not another cult. Yeah, and the cult connects to his father in some way, and his father... Oh, yeah, and his father is the best story of all because he goes from being a, a, a druggy, alcoholic, non-existent father to a guy who's a leader of a gang to a guy who's... A bit better of a father, but still leader of a gang. Who definitely everyone knows he's leader of a gang who's evil and not a generally good person. And in season three, out of no, literally out of nowhere, he is shut suddenly the sheriff of the entire town. I, I do not. I still do not know why. It is two seasons since this moment has passed. I have no idea how that happened or why no one questioned it. He is just the sheriff now, um, and it's. It's an, I mean, Archie as well. It's such a good show. <laughs> Archie, Archie um, is a character who's a main, he's the main character, I guess, technically. Um, in the first one, he has very little, like, sort of human. In the first season, he has very human desires of wanting to be in. He wants to be a magician. He doesn't want to do sports anymore. He just wants to have like a girlfriend and go on with his life and all this. And in season two and season three, season four, it goes up and up to the point where. And I'm just, cause he just he's in a cabin and he's fighting. And I still, again, I still don't know why. I still don't know why he's in a cabin at some point. He's injured and he's he's trying. He's like escaping the police. I can't remember why. Still, um, and yeah, a bear attacks him, and the entire episode is about him attacking a bear. Um, <laughs> he, he kills the bear and then comes back to Riverdale. And everyone's like, "Hey, welcome back to school." <laughs> um, the show just moves on, um, and famously, I think there's so there's so much to talk about the show, and famously, this episode every season that's a musical. Um, the the thing is though, the musicals are always just terrible. I mean, I mean, because I enjoy musicals very much, I love them. Um, mm-hmm. Your know, movie is musical, even if it's bad, I will still probably like it more than I probably should. Um, so it's a testament to how bad these musicals are that. Every single one is the cringiest, this horribly like awkward thing to watch of twenty eight year olds playing teenagers being rebellious and whatever. And it's 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 so it's so ridiculous. And um, 
Yeah, and also because it's a TV show about teenagers in a neon town, it's it has so many references to like pop culture. But say Stranger Things is pop culture in a very smart way, where yeah, if they it's a way of telling the story that they're telling now, um, so it matters to the story at hand. And the characters are pop culture nerds, so it makes sense for them to talk about pop culture this way. So in Riverdale. None of them are pop culture nerds. None of them are like they. None of them are the movie guy or the the the, the guy that does the the whatever thing. The nerdy guy does Dungeons and Dragons. It's all fairly normal, attractive teenagers um, that are just walking about this neon town. So every episode, at some point, there's always a weird reference to like <laughs> to something. It's like one character commits suicide, and that before they before they go, before they fall out the window, they say. Um, you'll fly too from it, the Stephen King novel, but it makes no sense. There's no context. They're not flying. There's no alien clown monster. They just say you'll fly too. Remember that novel? Remember that movie? Yeah, I do too. I'm gonna kill myself now. That's the entire show summed up of this references and just plot that means nothing. The characters have these big changes that mean nothing. It's an. I I I promise you, if you watch it with your friends, it's an amazing show. It's incredible. <laughs> what a wonderful sounding TV show. Yeah. It was a long rant there because it's just so much. I mean, I haven't even got half of it, but it's so... It's Maybe I will it, watch it. I mean, if you are going to watch it, watch with someone that you know to like take the nick out of it because by yourself, it's just, it's just sad at some point, <laughs> in a way. Um, <laughs> season 1, by the way, isn't that bad. Season one's pretty pretty strong, if anything. It's kind of... It's still about the kids just in school, and they look teenager-esque somewhat, I guess. <laughs> um, um, so they, they're doing the generic teenage love triangle stuff, but it worked because you kind of believe it. And there's one murder plot, and that's the entire drama of the show. There's no more than that. Um, it's shorter than all seasons. It's 13 episodes compared to 24 episodes, an hour long. Um, mm-hmm. So season one is pretty solid. But whew, going forward from that, oh, wow, it's... It's interesting. <laughs> God. Oh, God. Oh. I watched so much of it as well. So much of it. Um, and I don't regret any of it because it was so funny. <laughs> um, yeah. It sounds brilliant. Yeah. So if, you've got, um, if anyone wants to watch it, that's, listen to this. Please watch it with a friend. addictive. Yeah. Oh, it's addictive because it's so dumb. You don't use your brain ever. Um, but it's fun in that sense of just watching... Watching a writer's room of everyone just saying the first thing that comes to their heads and it's going, <laughs> yep, that's what episode, that's what episode. Let's that's go for it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, need to, we need to move on. We need to move on. <laughs> oh. shall, I, shall I bring a new one into the equation? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> right, so this one isn't, isn't something... You know, even I mentioned before, sort of the, the, the pulp aspect. Mm-hmm, yeah. This is one that, if I ever catch it on, if me and my mum surf me through the channels, mm-hmm. if we ever see that this is on, yeah, you, you, you bet it's a guarantee we're going to watch it. <laughs> right. And I don't know if you've heard of it, right? It's called Diagnosis Murder. I've got no idea. <laughs> Basically, right, I'm gonna, I've got an IMDb here. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to um, read you the synopsis. Mm-hmm. It's not really a synopsis, it's literally four lines. <laughs> it says, Dr. Mark Sloan 
has a knack for getting into trouble, negotiating the twists and turns of mysteries and solving crimes with the help of his son, Steve, a homicide detective. <laughs> okay. The main character, Dr. Mark Sloan, is Dick yeah. Van Dyke. Oh, okay. Jesus. And his son, Steve Sloan, is mm-hmm. Barry Van Dyke. Oh, so it's real father and son. Yeah. Oh. It's a family thing. Mm-hmm. And Dick Van Dyke is he's basically like the head of this hospital ward. I haven't seen all of these, by the way. I've only ever seen the odd one. Mm-hmm. And his son's like a detective. or well, he is he's a detective. Mm-hmm. And somehow, I swear the only reason he's a detective is because his dad just stumbles on the answers. <laughs> <laughs> right, I see. Upon it. It's literally it's the dad that solves it every time. Yeah. Somehow, even though he's the head of this hospital ward. It's Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, he just wanders in, but it's just so cool because it's Dick Van Dyke catching murderers. <laughs> just it's all he can with a smug look on his face saying <laughs> Yeah. <Got you. laughs> Is I it figured like, it out. Oh, oh. Me and my, my noggin, me and my moustache. We figured it out. <laughs> He's got a moustache? Yeah, a moustache. Um, is it like a half comedy or is it more <laughs> serious? Um, it's it's just like... Uh, uh, it's, <laughs> it's described on IMDb as a crime drama mystery. Right. It's just nice. Is it more tongue-in-cheek in a sense? It's, more, it's, it's a bit like Midsummer Murders. Ah, okay. From the I 90s. And the, yeah, from the <laughs> 90s. I instantly got what you mean now, yeah. <laughs> it's that sort of tone. Yeah. There, there were quips made, there were jokes made. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's just, it's just a bit of father and son having a bit of, a bit of banter. Yeah. Is it, it's like one of those things where every, every episode is more or less the same, but just a different murder. <laughs> Basically, like a, dif- like a different crime. Yeah, Have you got your phone with you. Uh, yeah, I do. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you the uh, the poster, <laughs> the picture on the poster. Yeah. Right. Ah, <laughs> oh, wait for it to send. I sent. All right. Have, oh. have a look at that. Oh my god, <laughs> that is a that's a poster and a half. If, I, I, right, you, um, know, you know, like posters that, that often convey the. The drama for this. Everything you need to know is in that poster. <laughs> that right there is the show. And I... people obviously can't see this. It's just two men, a father and son, with the son leaning over his dad. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's... it. That's all you need to know. It's one of like one of those um, those 90s um, posters where it's just like it's very obviously shot in, um, shot in a studio. With studio lighting, it's got oh, you go to your father and like lean over him and be like, ah, ah, dad, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's definitely one of those um posters. <laughs> oh, this looks good, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Just, just yeah. if you ever catch it on, just watch it. I think I will, just I mean, for the chef, want to seeing you know, seeing Dick Van Dyke yeah. mug off some criminals. Yeah, god, that looks interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, do you want to move on? Yeah can do okay so i'm going to go to one that i'm watching um right now so i am uh, i'm going through this one so i'm all up to like season two episode five or six um tv show from the 90s but it's 2000s mostly for the most part um 
called The Sopranos. Uh, <gasps> oh? oh, I started this yeah, literally the other day. Really? Yeah, oh, Sopranos. My unstoppable episode. Yeah, it's it's um so far I am I am loving this TV show. Um, and I think what's interesting about it is I think it's it's I think it's definitely based off of like a one line concept of like a mafia boss walks into a psychiatrist's office, you know, um, and it's kind of based off that. So it has this very this very macho um, surface layer of, uh, of gangsters in in New, Zer- in New Jersey and uh, doing gangster things and killing people. It has that 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 very uh, likable plot sort of interesting surface layer. But underneath all that, and I think what they do, the show does so well, is through all those little elements of is this Tony Soprano, the main character's different relationships in his life between the psychiatrist, between his wife, his daughter, his son, his his friends in the mafia. Um, um, he all those, all those elements that make up like a mafia story. They're using to sort of have a commentary on. I think I would say, for the most part, like masculinity in general, um, and I think every episode is doing it in an interesting way. But I feel like they're actually like researching psychology and putting it into the show, but not just the character says these things. It's more the character implies these things in the in the things this episode is going to be about, and then throughout the entire show, you see Tony Soprano and his character and his family in that. Um, reflect what this character is this this kind uh, this psychiatrist is getting at. Um so I think that show is it's yes, it's very fun and like um like I said before, like plot driven in a sense of um uh, like gangsters murdering sort of New Jersey, but at the same time it has it has like a genuine heart to it and a and a genuine um like a genuine like love for like storytelling that that's that's not obvious. And um in the first episode, I think because you said you um, you only seen the first episode so far. Oh uh, yeah, the first episode. Um, yeah, because I think uh, they do it. I think it's the most obvious it ever gets an episode where this character this says the this says to Tony Soprano that um, the the birds represent your family going away, and I feel like the show is full of those little things, but it gets more and more um, um, ambiguous throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Um, what different things mean. Um, and I feel like it's a great show to enjoy if you just want to see Mafia in New Jersey, but it also has, like I said before, that sort of heart. And I think a, a great example, which I won't spoil the episode, but um, so like it's the main framework of it. Um, there's an episode in season two, I think. Yeah, I think season two. Um, it's called um, Anger, um, Denial, Anger, um, um, Acceptance, which is obviously is that it's the, the motto of how you get through grieving and mourning. The sort of denial, you get angry, and then you accept it eventually. Um, and yeah, if something happens to Soprano, to, to Tony, and at some point, and he has to go through these emotions that are, yes, denial, acceptance, um, anger, acceptance, but um, it's all framed from three separate psychiatrist visits that are definitely those three emotions happening. Mm. And again, it, ha- it has that going through it where every, every, every dialogue scene, every action a character takes is in some way informing the theme of the show and and it's for the most part yeah like i said for masculinity but also this general psychology and it's heightened by this hyper masculine world where the men run the business and they earn the money and they 
kill whoever they like and uh, sleep around with different people, even though they're married and all this. Um, yeah. And there's uh, the most recent episodes I thought was an especially high, um, a high point so far was an episode where they, they go to Italy at some point. And in their mind from New Jersey and haven't really been to Italy, Italy before, but they're definitely Italian, like bloodline, um, somewhat related to Italy. Um, they've never been to, the, to their homeland, uh, to put it. Um, so they imagine a great, a great, like a different world. Italy's like, Italy's going to be this amazing thing where I feel finally at home and I'm going to do business over there and I'm going to finally see how the professionals do it and I'm going to learn from them. And they go over there and they realize that Italy, whilst yes, yeah, being a wonderful, wonderful place, um, it's, it's not a perfect place in the sense that it's just what you do, but heightened. And it, it has like, a calling card for, Tony Soprano of him realizing that what he does isn't something to be proud of necessarily, because um, over there in Italy they do everything that he does, but it's to a more heightened, violent extent. Um, if someone accidentally sets a firecracker off and a firecracker off and it looks, it sounds like a gunshot, people will like beat up, beat up that kid because it they it sounds like a fire, like a, a gunfire, um, even mm. though it wasn't. Um, where in in Jersey they don't do stuff like that. It's more of a calmer sort of those golden days of the godfather and goodfathers are gone and it's just the 90s and 2000s now where we're, we're barely surviving but like we're kind of trying to live up to this ideal of manhood from those movies um and it's interesting to watch that show where it's it's genuinely every in every sense of the word it's very deep and obviously when you say that about movies and tv shows everyone goes oh it's deep whatever you you're just not actually that deep but it everything about it is built to tell in one hour episodes, one corner of psychology and philosophy, even on, um, I think for the most part, yeah, men, because um, because these men are very angry all all yeah. time. They're very angry, <laughs> um, and they believe psychology is like a bullshit thing that people made up to get money. Tony Soprano hates it for the most part. Um, there's all these different things about it, and it's. It's interesting seeing such a masculine character that we all know from Good uh, Goodfellas and Godfather and all these great um, gangster movies and stuff like that be completely de- deconstructed every episode more and more to the point where you just see the, it's, you just everyone everyone in that show is like a child trying to act like a man. <laughs> um, I mean, it's more obvious in the sense that aesthetically, like visually, these men are like. For the most part, like very large, but like not like a muscular way, more like they eat way too much ice cream sort of way. And <laughs> and even if they're not that, they use like very skinny people that are trying, skinny young people that are trying to prove that they're bigger than they are. So like everything about these characters tell you that they're not actually these great heroic men. They're just they're just trying to be, and they're not they're just un- misunderstanding what they're what would actually make them happy. Because um, the point is, sure, there's a a certain point in the show where everything's going well for Tony Soprano, Everyone, everything's going perfectly, and he's still he's still so angry at everything. He's questioning why, and he goes to the characters and he realizes that because his life <laughs> from the <laughs> is headed in the wrong direction. <laughs> it's just going in like this u- u- uber masculine, violent world of, and you don't need to prove yourself like that ever. Um, but I believe they have to again. They praise and love and adore um, Godfather and Goodfellas and Martin Scorsese and the Casino and all these different things. Yeah. Because I mean, it's it's like one of those typical things where people, uh, teenagers, teenage boys, especially watch uh, something like uh, Fight Club, Fight Club, 
and think of it like a hyper masculine uh, film all about how men are great and fighting is a great thing to do <laughs> and it's amazing to see people people grow up out of that and realize that the movie is actually criticizing that a lot um, yeah. and it's, it's not saying fighting's the way out of it it's saying that the opposite it's saying that you're just children acting out because the only way you know how to act <laughs> um yeah. and it's 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 been so fun to watch so far and there's every time it goes to the characters i always i i'm all, it's my favorite it's my favorite um scenes in that show is when he goes to the, the psychiatrist and they talk because it's just so it's just a contrast between a between a loving caring mother sort of figure in the psychiatrist and a just a child <laughs> of a man <laughs> around um and it's just a good contrast between two characters where you just try and you, you just like you love them both in different ways and you kind of want to see each one have an effect on the other and it's so interesting to watch and i i can't praise it enough to anyone to watch um if you haven't watched it yet so yeah it's great well, definitely gonna continue with it yeah because i was sort of looking at it in the write-up of it i'm not a massive like <clears throat> gangster film lover mm-hmm. it's not something i'm uber interested in yeah um but i just thought i'd give it a go because people obviously love it mm-hmm. so yeah that's really confirmed my motivation for it i think yeah. i will watch it yeah it's definitely it's more than just your gangster. And I mean, if you do like your gangster film um, films and whatever, it definitely has that going for it. Oh yeah. It, it doesn't, it doesn't not do those things you expect from a gangster TV show, but it doesn't at the same time, it always criticizes itself in a way, yeah. <laughs> which sounds counterintuitive, but it is the greatest thing about that show is it does. It's, it's a, it's, yeah, every episode I could, every episode I watched, I could talk about for an hour afterwards about what every single line meant because it's so, yeah, one it's of, so thought out. Yeah, yeah it's one of them things where literally everything has meaning. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. That's good. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to do the one? Um, I can do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do one more. Okay. Um, I don't know whether to go for. The two things I've watched recently. I think I think I'll keep it recent. Okay. Um, I don't know whether to go for a war thing mm-hmm. or a drama. Okay. Which uh, one? Um, drama, drama, drama. Okay, yeah. for the drama thing. So recently we watched uh, Big Little Lies. Oh, I've heard about this. Have you seen it? I haven't seen any of it. <laughs> Not any of it. Okay. So basically, um, a young a single mother arrives at this, I think it's Californian high society. It's, mm-hmm. it's basically about it's basically the women that live in the society and their relationships with their ki- children and their husbands. Mm-hmm. And it's set to the backdrop of, you know, a murder is going to happen. <laughs> Somebody's right. going to die. Yeah. Um, you see that the police tape, you know, you're shown where the person's going to die. Mm-hmm. You've shown what time they're going to die at the event, like they're shown at a gala event. Yeah. And then, like, throughout the entire season, you have dotted through it, you have interviews with the minor parents, basically. Mm-hmm. Parents that you sort of see in the background, you see them have a conversation with and they go off. And then the head teacher as well. Mm-hmm. And you see, like, Every every time something, some like through an episode, like a large chunk of drama will happen. 
Yeah. And a lot of the plot will progress. And then just at the end of it, you'll have a quick cut to the people that are being interviewed saying something like, if if she had done that, I'd have slapped her. <laughs> right. Kind of thing. Just building up the story and sort of commenting, providing mm-hmm. like a social commentary on the lives of these these parents, these mothers, these women who live in this society. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the, the plot is that this single mother um, is sort of taken, gets taken under the wing of two of the slightly older mothers uh-huh. uh, who are sort of best friends. And they are um, the old, the, the other two, the more established members of the society are Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman. Oh, right. Okay. And the, the single mother is um, Sh- Sh- Shailene Woodward. Is that her name, I think? Wood- Woodley, maybe? Woodley, yes, Shane Woodley. Yeah. Um, she was in, I think she's in Divergent. Yeah. The film franchise she's in. Or she? mm. I think she is, yeah. Yes, Divergent. Yeah. Um, and all the, all the fallout of her arrival... Nicole Kidman is, uh, she's married to Alexander Skarsgård. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he he abuses her. And various other things happen, like there's uh, Zoe Kravitz, isn't it? Oh, yeah, Catwoman. <laughs> yeah, she plays one of the, uh, the women. Um, I think of other people you might recognise. Mm. Uh, I think that's about it. Right. And basically... Um, it's just about sort of the relationships that form between them and how that escalates something drastic. And then the second series, because it's just two series. I think yeah. it, was, it was meant to be a limited series based on a book. Yeah. But then they did like a sequel series to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, and the second series is about dealing with what happened and how guilt can make them reflect on their other aspects of their lives. Mm-hmm. And... The, and then the, the second series ends in a very rounded way. Right, okay. A complete like, ending. So it's definitely over now. Mm, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, but why, the main reason I'm talking about this is there's a scene. Mm-hmm. Scene where the, the climactic scene um, in the first series, the final episode, where you find out who gets murdered and who murdered them. Yeah. Just before that, you have 30, 40, as well, right? I know I always do this. I always interrupt myself. <laughs> I've forgotten. Sorry. Throughout the entire thing, what it does brilliantly is visually, the way it deals with sort of memory mm-hmm. and person's thoughts yeah. is that you'll often have characters doing stuff and then a character will often sort of zone out and you'll see flashes of stuff that's already happened. Yeah. And how important that is um, in dealing with that. I'm going to try not to spoil this because this <laughs> is dangerous territory. Yeah. <laughs> but, so these, these three characters, the single mother, the Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. The, every, everything, everything's coming to a head. All the sort of smaller dramatic um, roles and the, the plot lines have come together. Mm-hmm. And you have this section where there is there is no dialogue, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all the and the big twist is revealed, and there's 
basically one of the characters is raped off screen. Right. Okay. And they um, then one of the whole plot lines is them maybe trying to find the rapist and moving on. Right. And there's there's, there's basically the final sort of scene. I'm not sorry, not the final scene. The climactic scene. Um, I'm really trying really hard not to spoil this. <laughs> I'm it's 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 painfully hard. Yeah. Uh, basically, all the characters realise something. Yeah. And <laughs> um, they know each other so well that they've built up every little nuance for each other. They now know these three are the best of friends. Yeah, and you know this as well because you've you've experienced the build up of that relationship, and also within that trio, you know what each character means to each other. Mm-hmm. You know what they represent for them. You know the relationship between them. Every every conversation they've had, every little way that they've helped each other, and every mm-hmm. little way that they know each other. Right. And then you have this moment where they all realise something. One of the characters realises it first. Yeah. And they look at one of the other characters. And they know that they've realised this something. <laughs> right. And then the the third one looks at them and they judge from their facial expression. They also have realised something. So yeah. that character realises this something. And, it, and it's really complicated. I'm pretty sure I've absolutely butchered that. <laughs> no, because it sounds interesting the way he was carving it. Because it sounds a lot. It sounds like a very uh, visual show. Um, it, it is very visual, and the way it deals with that is excellent. And particularly in this scene, like, there's no dialogue, yeah. and the whole dramatic thing is the whole dramatic dramatic twist. It's mm-hmm. absolutely nailed, and it's just brilliant. Like, <laughs> I can't do it justice by just explaining it. Yeah, it is. It's for for what is it's it's a good drama show. Yeah, that's how I describe it. Mm-hmm. The end, the final ending is very well. That's nice. That's rounded it off. Right. Describe it necessarily is a great show. Mm-hmm. I just say it's a really good visual drama. Right. Yeah. And this think... this particular scene that I'm talking about is phenomenal. Yeah. And it it is pure brilliantly brilliantly done. Yeah. It's purely visual and it's also acting. <laughs> yeah. Is Mel Streep in it? You said that. Uh, yes, Mel Streep is in it. Right. She's in the second series. Yeah. Because I heard a. Yeah. I heard her screaming as one of the as a meme for a while. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> a dinner table or something like that. She so started yes. screaming, and then that yeah. became a meme for like two months. <laughs> yes, I I, I don't, I'm not familiar with the meme, but I know exactly what scene you're talking about. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so yeah, so that's that's why I want to bring that up. I mean, stuff like that when it comes to TV shows is is always interesting because I. I think, like, for a while now, um, I think I mentioned this before um, this episode, where I said that TV shows were usually seen as somewhat lesser as a, as a media form than uh, movies. Um, mm. And I feel like a, a big reason for that wasn't just the production cost, but I feel like a lot of TV shows relied on dialogue and um, story that was obvious to the audience, but you just told it to them. Compared mm. to movies, where you had a lot more availability to kind of go crazy and let the visuals tell the story whether it be yeah. a dramatic scene between three characters or a, a setting up a sci-fi world. You had a, a much more, uh, usually a better way of doing that with movies and uh, production costs and whatever. Um, um, but with TV shows, I feel like recently the biggest thing that's making them seem not only just on even ends with their movies, is, uh, but some, in some ways more so because they have more time to develop the story they're telling, um, the characters, 
is that they're getting more and more visual. And I don't mean visual effects, I just mean more and more visual storytelling that we don't, we often don't get to see very often um, TV yeah. shows. Um, Sorry. Yeah, um, just because for, for whatever reason, TV shows for a while just never had that availability to um, perhaps even uh, even in the 80s and 90s, like move the camera that often, <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. And we every TV like show was. 90s, 80s, like comedy programs, they're sitcoms, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They're all like free cameras in a, in, a, in a studio or a live audience sort of thing. And they were the most popular form of TV storytelling for a long time. Because it was sim- it was kind of a simple way of just relaying a story, and the laughs, even if it didn't, even if the audience at home didn't laugh, the audience in the last studio audience would laugh, therefore making you want to laugh more. So it was very much an easier way of getting across a point or a comedic line or a drama um, in that sense. Um, but yeah, I feel like an inter- interesting thing that happened recently is that they're getting more and more visual. In I mean, a great example obviously is Game of Thrones, and there's a lot of just in in the much criticized last season, there's a lot of this moments of this visual, visual complete like storytelling of, um, you get a character making a decision, a big decision based off just what they're doing and how the camera is showing them doing that. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting. Yeah. You have them better production values of late, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I suppose it does, it does sort of start with programs like the Sopranos. Yeah. Where you have, oh, yeah. That more intense, symbolic, meaningful, as you described, kind of um, storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that sort of sort of built up over time. All the shows through the through the noughties. and the other. I'm not going to talk about it lots, but the other the other program I was going to mention uh, when I said the war thing that I've watched recently is um, called Band of Brothers. Mm, okay. I don't know if you've seen that. I've heard this name, and I know that's popular. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna obviously talk about it a lot because I sort of made my final point. But um, mm. that's a very visual thing, and it's really high production values, and that's around the north as well. It's very much up to the standard of a war film. Yeah, and it's probably better than a lot of war films that we still get today. Mm. But then you also, again, you keep moving forward, and then you get shows like Breaking Bad. Yeah. Which we haven't mentioned today mm-hmm. in this episode. It's up there, definitely. <laughs> it's definitely. I, I, I would, I would describe it as one of the best TV shows ever made. Easily, yeah. And you know, it's all progress of that snowballing, that visual sense. Because Breaking Bad has a very, it has a very unique visual aesthetic to it. Mm. You know, yeah. the camera techniques often being in things. You know. The cameras in objects like washing machines or even tables and yeah. looking up at the characters doing something. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a kind of style that you would normally get from a film. Yeah. Um, and I feel like a, a, a major point of visual storytelling that we didn't, I don't think we would expect in like the 90s or even the early 2000s was a, I think when Jesse Pinkman at one point uh, takes drugs and um, we see him kind of like levitate above the ground and move across a room and it was it was done practically it was done with him lying on like a, a wooden board beneath a camera being pulled up and i feel like um that's something that would be reserved for movies um if that was made 10 years earlier you know yeah um so uh, yeah i feel like 
it was definitely a step, the breaking, uh, breaking Bad and that sort of era of TV shows, there was definitely a stepping point forward for um, TV shows being something that could be movie quality but more time, which usually is a spare. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's I love how we're in an era where TV shows can be just as good and this is important and relevant to a, a franchise even like Star Wars and Mandalorian um, than the actual moves that are getting made as a big event. Um, yeah, and like, yeah, we, we're seeing that as well, though we haven't seen any of it yet. It hasn't come out yet. We do have the Marvel shows coming at the end of this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision. They're supposed to be, their production values are supposed to be the same as the films. Yeah, they're like, they are, they are people are excited, as excited for them as they are for any other Marvel movie that's coming out as well at the same time. Um, and I feel like it's it's great that we're getting the dual identity of these franchises and um, and TV shows just by themselves, um, where they can be these big, grand, operatic event movies or whatever, and at the same time have TV shows that explain the characters and what they went through in between those movies, maybe. Um, and I love that we're in that era of across all medium storytelling, which we got kind of in early in the early two thousands, I guess. Did get. We got a, in the Matrix, we got a trilogy, then we got a cartoon, then we got a video game that was all tied to the same story. And that was kind of an early attempt, but I feel like now we're really into that era where it's all coming together as a yeah. medium. Everything's um, sort of built up to this point. I mean, you still obviously have the place for more cartoony, pulpy... Uh, uh, how, do you, how do you describe it? <laughs> Just general... Uh, Bonus diagnosis. Yeah, Riverdale <laughs> kind of shows. Yeah. <laughs> there is also that space for it. Yeah. Because of how cheap it can be. But mm. now we have people lifting the boundary of the potential of how expensive and how bold it can be. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to move on to the last one of mine, just like very quickly? Uh, we can do, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about, talk about um, for a little while, is uh, Mad Men, which I... I had mentioned before, I think, on episode... Um, I think Mad Men, if I remember rightly, was the very first thing we talked about from coming back. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, cause I think in that one, I kind of mentioned it very shortly. Um, uh, but yeah, I kind of... Um, I Since then, finished the show, and it's consistently great. It's, always, it's never dipped in quality, I don't think. Um, and then the ending is so... It is so... Um, Oddly euphoric, even though it's not the ending that I was expecting, um, because it's uh, it's a show built on the advertising industry, and it's interesting how it structures, structures its episodes in the sense that usually it's structured around you have a product that's going to be advertised by the by the company, and they're trying to figure out a way that's um, inspiring and creative that's going to sell really well and make a profit and they can do all these great things and a particular episode where this became very obvious to me and is when i sort of fell, fell in love with the show was an episode called the um, the wheel and it was about uh it was about um a, a, a canon camera a camera um, um a photo viewer i guess what you call it and it was like a carousel where you put the photos into the carousel and then they would go around the circle and then it'd be projected onto a onto the wall and it would be like a, obviously with fours, we all have these um, deep connections with them where it's nostalgic and it's heartwarming and it's all these different things. And 
you see for an entire episode, Don, the main character, struggle between his family life and his his home his home life and his work life, and it's it takes him until the very end of the episode to finally pitch and understand the the the, the majestic quality of the that product of a it's not a it's not a photo view it's a time machine where you can go back in time and view view your memories and relive them and maybe through that make different decisions um, and I think it's a beautiful episode where the the subject matter that's most obvious and most surface level of selling a product and the life of Don Draper um, um, becomes the the deeper meaning of every single thing the the context and the the subtext of what they're saying at the same time where they all come together to tell one story of Don choosing his family over work at the very end but by the time he goes to his family it's already too late they've already left mm. um, and it's yeah. interesting how they, they've married the um, the center concept the, the the simple kind of concept of selling a product and advertising how soulless advertising is and how it's all to sell a customer fizzy water sometimes and it's nothing more than that and they've made it something full of heart that even Don Draper is cynical about the entire episode, the entire source is him saying that we people in advertising invented love because it was we are selling selling a product to someone um, so he's very cynical in that in that um, aspect but and he always he has this, he has a saying that he always says but he's always moving forward um, so if anything happens in your past you just move forward um, so the big point for him is in his past he was called Dick Whitman and he was in the war he accidentally um, in a very like haphazard sort of comedic way almost compared to what you would expect from from a um, from a character like him he's accidentally killed his his um, commander through a gasoline um, problem um, and he was ashamed with that and became from that he stole his ident- identity and became Don Draper and lived a completely new life and no one knows this at all aside from only a few people by the very end of the show. Um, so he has this idea of always going forward, going forward and putting your past behind you, even though it's not a healthy way of living, going mm. forward and not looking back at what you've done and regretting it or improving yourself is not a way of living ever. Um, and I think it's a great, uh, great ending because not to, I guess, spoil anything, but he does, he walks away from everything at some point. He just and he and he drives he drives across the country, he keeps on running and going forward, literally and emotionally, he keeps on just going forward, ignoring all things that happened in the past. And he by the end of the episode, the last episode, he reaches a cliff and there's nowhere else to run. There was no there's literally nowhere else he could go. And he has this great euphoric um light um light bulb moment of connecting with the human being like one on one, where he's in a therapy group at the very end. On the, mm-hmm. end, end, on the edge of this hill and this guy who who says he's living life but doesn't feel like he's in on life he feels like he's watching it through a window and people people should love him but they're not loving him because and he doesn't know why and that's very much mirroring what Don Draper feels the entire way through the entire show and he in this one moment he very unlike Don Draper he goes to this guy he hugs him and he cries with him for like a good two minutes of the of the show and it's very it's a very euphoric moment for not just Don Draper will the audience to see him to see such a sixties icon of a man wearing a suit. He's rich. He has a perfect family. Um, realize that that's all empty because it's all advertised to him by the America at that time. And connecting with someone one on one, a random guy he's just met in a therapy group. Um, and from that moment, he 
he understands who he is as a human being. He hasn't changed to a great like um, human being. He isn't like also a good human being, but he understands that who he is. And I think, and from that, we cut to him smiling at the camera, eyes closed, having a sort of a peaceful moment, but also a lightning, like a lightning bolt moment of the advertising idea of the Coca-Cola ad from 1970-something. I can't remember what it was. But it's a famous Coca-Cola ad that I had no idea about until I watched the show. Whereas, if regardless of the best um, advert of all time, of people of colour, people of uh, people of different nationalities, holding hands and singing a very happy song, holding a, um, a can of Coke. Um, and it's it's sort of this weird moment of like, yes, he's still, he's still in advertising. He's still not the greatest person and even the people that made the show said that after that moment he's probably going to have two more wives and die a very young man <laughs> or probably um but so the show in the entire way was always about identity and i think at the end of that show him knowing who he was and i know that we always expect in a tv show or a movie for people to have a an arc where they change but i feel like it's even more even in real life as well um having a moment where you just understand who you are um and you, and that's very red hat, and um, that show gets to that point at the very end, and it's the entire point being identity. And I think it was great to have a show that was about identity that didn't end on a note of you have you have to improve yourself, but maybe a good starting point is just knowing, just actually knowing who you are. Because the entire time he's confused. He is he Don Draper or is he Dick Whitman from an abusive household who had no money to being Don Draper, a rich guy with a family and all this. Um, and it was, it was, it was generally amazing to see that happen on um, a TV show that I didn't expect that to be ending. I thought he was going to change into a good person or something like more obvious like that, but it wasn't that. And I expected way more for that than I think I would have. That I think I, re- I would have realized that, that didn't happen. Um, yeah, it's a great show, and I, I recommend anyone to watch it if you're just interested in a show about those sort of identity problems. Set in, set in the world of the 60s where identity was always a strict code of thinking of you hmm. from a nuclear family and all this and <laughs> you buy products that are expensive and you impress everyone with your new things and it was yeah I just want yeah it was a great show <laughs> and I, <laughs> I just kind of wanted to get out there I don't I think people are kind of uh, not watching it at the moment because I feel like it's came and gone it was popular when it was out now it's I think it's still popular now but like maybe people haven't heard of it as much as Game of Thrones or hmm stuff like that and even Sopranos people haven't heard it as much as Sopranos maybe um, so I would love people to go and watch that show and it's also it's very funny for the most part it's it's a great tonal mix of all these great 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 moments but tied together by these unifying themes of identity through all the characters not just Don Draper but yeah it's a great show I recommend anyone to watch it if they're interested yeah yeah well, it does sound good yeah I'll give you that Maybe, maybe I'll give you that as a concession. It sounds all right. <laughs> yeah. It's no, right. It, yeah, it's 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 often good finding something you didn't expect to find in a TV show. Oh yeah. Because it's at the end of the day, it's also like a really big commitment to it. Yeah. And to have something given back to you after such a long time is perhaps more rewarding than it might be for a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's. Um, yeah, and that's where the true power of TV lies, really. It can always, because like, TVs can always, unlike movies that might be one and done, because 
don't get the profits to make a sequel, TV shows can go on for more than one season, and it's usually expected that they do go on for more than one season. Therefore, you can change what the characters are and build to those changes and have a midpoint that turns everything on its head in season five, you know? You can do stuff like that, that can reflect whatever you're trying to say through these characters very well. Um, and TV show, I, I do think TV shows in general, I prefer as a medium to movies sometimes, just because, really? yeah, um, and I, I obviously I love movies, but um, TV shows I think sometimes can just have, yeah, like I keep on saying because it's so true that like, they have the time. Um, yeah. Movie, you're always trying to fit a two-hour window. Um, and if you don't do that two-hour window, sometimes your film can feel overly long. People go into it expecting a two-hour experience. Next like the exciting incident might happen 40 pages in. You even know what's meant to happen 20, 20 pages in. But, yeah, it's it's, diff- it's like a difficult sort of balancing out with a film but you don't have, that you don't have to deal with much on a TV show um, than you do as a film. Um, so if you have the commitment to watch a TV show, you get a lot more out of it um, than maybe a two-hour film that's a blockbuster, for example. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's a great... It's a great medium. <laughs> and it again, like, like we said before, I'm excited that they're bringing them, bringing them together for franchises at, at, at this moment. Um, yeah. Exciting and times. It is. I think that's yeah. a brilliant point to conclude on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's great. So am I doing an outro now? You can do. Bring oh. us home. Okay. So like I said before, um, follow us on Instagram at uh, Marvel Cinema Podcast and mm-hmm. on Twitter, Cinema Marvelous. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, we're going through the MCU films, reviewing all of them with star ratings and giving a more in-depth review down below, little little kind of written out thing. Um, so yeah, follow us on there. Uh, like the post, give us a comment, anything like that. Um, and yeah, if you like this podcast, give us a review on iTunes, I think it is. Um, just let us know if we're doing anything wrong or anything good. Yep. <laughs> uh, we're also on Google now. Oh yeah, oh, okay. So even more, even more places. If you can't get Spotify, whatever, we're everywhere now. I kind of get so yeah. So yeah, um, I've been your co-host Henry, and it's been Matthew. I've been with the co-host Matthew. We hope yeah. you enjoyed. Yeah, hope you enjoyed. Um, yeah, join us next week, hopefully. Um, we'll see what we're on. Yeah, I may. Have, uh, I was going to say I I may have finished Last of Us by next week. Oh, we thought about that then. Yeah. Oh, we might be able to. Oh, that's the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye. Thank you for listening. Bye.